Welcome, everybody, to Bridge Builders Communities Church Sermon Podcast. You are listening to one of our messages from our weekly gathering. We hope that you sit back and enjoy and be blessed. So, you know, last week we talked a little bit about in our ongoing quest to be disciples in the wild, followers. We talked about Peter and John and how they were noticeable because they had been with Jesus. And I'm just wondering, has anyone had an experience like that this, this week? Where someone noticed you? Anybody? And I mean not just notice you, because we get noticed all the time, sometimes for the wrong reasons. But I mean notice that you had been with Jesus. Anybody? No? No? I did. And also I'll just share it with you. I had an eye appointment. Annual. And most of you know that I have weird eyes. This one is farsighted. This one is nearsighted. And so my eyes constantly conflict with each other. And they often get irritated and all kinds of don't like each other. So we were talking about that with the eye doctor. He says, you know, you're really unusual. I go, yeah, I know. I've been told that all my life. And we were continuing to joke in. He says, he goes, and he was suggesting some drops that sounded, uh, sounded like Chinese food to me. So I said, oh, is that Chinese food? You know, and he, we were laughing, just having a good time. And, uh, so he's looking at my chart. He goes, huh, you're a minister? I go, yeah. He goes, how long have you been a minister? I said, well, it'll only be eight years, uh, in just a few days. And he goes, oh, what did you do before? So I told him what I did before. And, and then he made this comment. He goes, he goes, yeah, I just knew there was something different about you. And so we went to the rest of the examinations because there was a lot to do. And then finally got back to the room we started in. And, uh, and he says, you got any more questions for me? I said, yeah, but it has nothing to do with my eyes. I said, you made a comment about, I knew there was something different about you. Why'd you say that? He goes, I have brain surgeons coming here. I have garbage men coming here. I have priest upon priest upon priest coming here. And he says, and no one has been as warm and welcoming in my own office as you have been. And I said, well, thank you. I take that as a compliment. He goes, well, it is. I said, uh, but there's someone else that you see. And then he just quickly moved on. <laughs> but, yeah. but I just wanted to tell you a story, not to, to brag on me, because certainly it's, that's not the point. The point is that, you know, we want people to notice that we've been with Jesus. And sometimes it's just being friendly. It's just being polite. It's just being yourselves. The personalities and the characters that, that you are, that Christ has given you, that he has created you to be, shine every place you go. Drip Jesus wherever you go. Just be yourselves and, and drip Jesus. Be kind. Encourage people. You know, I said something to him. I said, you know what? Doctor, I really appreciate you because you don't, you have really taken the time to explain how my eyes work. And he did. He went into great detail why it's so hard for my eyes to see. No other doctor has ever done that. And so I spoke into his life saying, I really appreciate that. You're really good at this. I'm glad I chose you. And his demeanor, his posture started to change. 
That's what he noticed. He noticed Jesus speaking into him. And then it just takes a moment. It just, you know, Christine always said, you know, it doesn't cost anything to be kind. And it's made such an impression on me all my life just to do that. So I want, I want to get into another story, but let's talk about our, our core, core verse for this, for this series, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there's this powerful quote that I want to lead into today's message by my favorite author, John Eldridge. And he says this. The purpose of his life, his death, his resurrection, was to ransom you from your sin, deliver you from the clutches of evil, restore you to God so that his personality and his life could heal and fill your personality, fill your humanity and your life. This is the reason why he came, and anything else is just religion. And it got me to thinking, you know, that our, 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 our journey with God, it's, it's not transactional. It's relational. There was a transaction. Jesus paid the price for our sin. He, he came and, and died for our sins. There was a transaction. But it was because he wanted us to have a relationship with him. So it's not transactional. It's not based on a transaction. It's based on relationship. And that's the heart of this quote that John, John writes in his book. And it got me to thinking about the whole thing about religion, religion and relationship. And it got me to thinking about we can't earn this. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our relationship with Jesus. And yet there's still times in our, in our journey with him that I think we try to. We make it more about the, the doing part. We make it more about the works thing. And we forget that we're supposed to be his. Be with him. There is plenty to do in the kingdom. We all know that. We are called to go and make disciples. That's a lot of doing. But we're called to be first. And sometimes I think because we're so... I think it, it's not because we love him and we want to prove our love to him sometimes. And we want to show how devoted we are. And, and we certainly we want to do all the right things. But sometimes we get lost in all that. And we forget that he died... Not so that we can go and do things. He died so that we could be with him. That's it. And being with him and, and coming into this, this loving relationship with him, we understand that we obey him because we love him. We do the things that he's called us to do because we love him. And so it's not based on the doing part, it's on the being part. And this is what this series has been about, is just to, just to double down on that. Especially for us who have been Christians for a long time. Because I think we, I'll speak for a sometimes I get stuck in just doing things for God. And I miss the relationship entirely. And this season of my life, God has been calling me back and back and back. And saying, no, 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 no I, just want, I just want you. 
I know all the things that you could do for BJ. I just want you. I just want you. I want you to love me deeply. I want you to pursue me with more passion. I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But I want you. All of you. Every part of you. Your character. Your personality. Your mind. Your spirit. Your soul. Your heart. I want every part of you. Because I want to make you free. And that's what he wants for us. And so this is what this whole journey about being followers of Jesus, being disciples in the wild. If we can double down on this whole idea of just being his, we will do the things that he's asked us to do. We will go where he asks us to go. And we will say the things that he wants us to say. And we will say it with grace. And we will say it with mercy. And we will say it with truth. Because that's what life with him is made of. Scripture says that Jesus came in in grace and truth. Let's read that scripture. John 1, 16 to 17. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So as we go and try to make disciples, to make other followers of Jesus, as we, we try to move through all the different ways of our lives, all the different places we go, work, doctor's apartments, grocery stores, dripping Jesus wherever we go, we have to do it with mercy. Remind people that mercy is given. They don't deserve mercy, but mercy is given because... It's given by Jesus. Grace. Grace upon grace, the scripture said. We receive the things that we don't deserve because of grace. And when you wrap it up in truth, and you can't separate the three, this is how we move through life. This is how we move through doctor's appointments, through grocery stores, shopping, Work, whatever it is, right here, right now. We do it with grace and mercy and truth. Because we were representing the king. Who gives us grace. Gives us mercy. And leads us to all truth. Powerful things here. So there's a story in the book of Mark. Chapter 10. How Jesus responds in truth and mercy and grace. This is a powerful story. I'll read it and then we'll take it apart. Chapter 10, verse 17. It's a story about the rich young man. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. 
And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, man, it's impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. This is an incredible story. It's a, it's a powerful story. And as I was diving into it, 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 it was amazing me at all the subtle details that are in this, that I have kind of just not seen. But it's beautiful and it's powerful. And we'll start with just back in verse 17. It says in this verse that he ran up to Jesus and knelt before him. Now, it is unclear, at least to me, uh, some people teach that, you know, that he was just trying to trap Jesus in, in another religious argument. Obviously, in the beginning of this chapter, the Pharisees are doing that with the question of divorce. They're trying to trap Jesus uh, in the questions of divorce. I, I don't see that here. Maybe he was. Maybe he was trying to trap Jesus. But you have to look at that first sentence there. He ran up to Jesus and knelt. Again, this was a very wealthy man. He had probably fine garments on. And again, for a Jewish person to pick up their robe and run was a very humbling thing. To expose your legs was just not done. But he would have to. He ran up to Jesus and then he knelt. The Greek word there for knelt means to, obviously, to bow down. But it's, it's the whole picture of it's a posture of honoring the person that you're bowing before. He ran up to Jesus, humbling himself, exposing himself, knelt before the teacher. And then he calls Jesus good teacher. The word good there means honored one. It means master. It's also the word used for a doctor. This doesn't sound like a man who's trying to trap Jesus to me. I think there's an honest sincerity. I think there's, as we'll see in the story, there's, there's some misguidedness. There's some misconceptions here. He's not understanding something. And it's part of the reason why he's approaching Jesus. But the whole idea of him running up to Jesus and then kneeling to Jesus in the posture did. There's, it's a posture of worship that he's assuming. I'm not saying he is worshiping, but it is the posture that he is assuming. Rich people did not bow to what people like Jesus, who would have seemed like common people. He did. So I don't think he's trying to trap Jesus. Again, some people think he does, and that's fine. I just don't see it in the story. I see someone who is honestly, sincerely trying to, to find out something that is something that has been bothering him, and he needs this question answered. 
And he sees an opportunity. He sees something in Jesus. Jesus says, I love it, you know, almost every time in my life too, when I ask God a question, he always answers with a question. And this is what Jesus does. He does it throughout scripture. He says, good. Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. I think Jesus is making a powerful play here. If, even if this guy is trying to trap him somewhere, he's saying, hey, wait a minute. Do you know who you're talking to? Do you realize what you're saying? You're calling me good. Only, only God is good. You do, do you know what you're saying here? The other people are hearing? You're calling me good. Only God is good. Jesus is making a very important statement here. And, and then again, if, if, there's, if there's any attempt of this man trying to trap Jesus, Jesus is pushing back against it. Jesus is smart. No one is good but God. So are you calling me God or what? And if you're calling me God, are you prepared to listen to what I'm about to say? Jesus is setting something up, and it's, I think it's absolutely beautiful. This man is coming in hot. He's running. He's eager to meet Jesus. And he assumes a worship position. And, and he asks that, good, that serious question, good teacher, what must I do to inher- inherit eternal life? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's such a powerful question. But it starts off with a self-righteous idea that he is in control of his own destiny. What must I do to inherit eternal life? There is something about this man that thinks he controls his own destiny, which, quite frankly, every human being on the planet does this. <laughs> this question is not unlike what questions get asked every day on this planet. How do I live to gain something? What must I do? It's a very important admission by this man as, as well. That Greek phrase, what must I do, means how can I produce? And it's actually talking about an author. So this man is saying, what, how can I write my story that includes a happy ending? That's what he's saying. How can I author my story in such a way that it, that it absolutely... I get the happy ending that I want. Eternal life. How can I alter my story in such a way? See, he's, mis- he's, mis- he's misinterpreting something about uh, the, the law and, the, and, and, and Jesus just gets right to the heart of the matter. Right to the heart of the matter. I love that about Jesus. What must I do? So, he runs up to Jesus, what must I do? I can sense this unsettledness in his spirit just by that question. 
we're going to come and find out that he's, you know, he's done a lot of different things. But there's got to be something unsettling in his spirit that he is willing to embarrass himself by picking up his robes and run to Jesus, bow before him, signifying that he is a holy person. To get this question answered. It must be traveling. It must be on his mind constantly. He's not, he's not settled on where he's going to spend eternity. And he's going to go to the only source that he feels at this point is going to be able to give him the answer that he needs. And Jesus does give him the answer that he needs, but this is not what this young man was expecting. He's going to challenge this man's theology and what he thinks is good. You know, good gets, gets uh, I think, you know, the, he was sensing this man was using the term good in a just kind of a loose manner. Why do you call me good? You know, and, and I've been talking about this, that, you know, our conception, our definition of good has to change. God is good. God is always good. God always answers out of his goodness. But we must allow God to define what good is. Allow his definition to take place. And I think this is what Jesus is, is about to teach this man about what goodness is. But he's going to do it with mercy. He's going to do it with grace. And he's going to do it with truth. So he starts off and he says in verse 19, You know the commandments. Don't murder and don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't defraud someone and honor your mother and father. It's like Jesus is reading him the Ten Commandments, and I think he's not done yet, but I think that in verse 20, the man interrupts him and says, Oh, teacher, I've done all these things since my youth. Now, he was a young man, so I'm not sure how old he was. But how long is that really? I've done all these things. It's like, I know what, I know the rest of them. I know what you're going to say, but I've done all these. I, I, I need this question answered. I've done all this stuff. And verse 21 is so beautiful. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I Stayed in that part of that verse for a long time this week. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack just one thing. Just one thing. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come. Follow me. The Greek words here for looking at him means that Jesus was looking deep inside him. Looking past all the, the, the glamour and the wealth and the fine clothes. He was looking deeply into this man. And the word means that he looked deeply and he discerned what this guy was all about. And his reaction was love. And the, the Greek word there for love means to be greatly fond of. Can you picture it? 
This man has come running to him. Basically throws himself at his feet. Has a minor theological debate. That could have gone a lot of different ways. Jesus looks deeply into his eyes. Sees this man's heart. Sees this man's potential. And sees this man's greatest need. Which is, of course, him. And he loved him. Doesn't condemn him. Doesn't criticize him. Doesn't call him out like he did the other Pharisees. Just loves him. And challenges theology this way. What's the first commandment? Not a pop quiz. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart. This man's God was his wealth. It's almost why, you know, that doesn't get mentioned in this, in, the, in this context, you know, but it's like Jesus addresses it because it's the first one. Not in a mean way, not in a harsh way, but a truthful way, with grace and mercies. It's, it's challenges it. Look, it's not about your money, it's about your identity. You replace your identity in this, in your wealth, and you worship this thing. You have to understand, in this time period, and it's not so much different today, but wealth was equated with holiness. If you were wealthy, you were rewarded by God. So everyone thought, if you were wealthy, you had the kingdom of God locked up. Because God was blessing you. Because you had money. You had possessions. You had prestige. That was the culture. So this man wasn't just asked to walk away from his money. He was asked to walk away from his very identity. It's a big ask. And really, it's it's what's happened to all of us who have surrendered their need to Jesus. We've been asked to give up this false identity in order to find out who we really are. And walk away from things that we worshipped in one way or another. And this is the challenge to this rich, young ruler. It's really not about his money. Jesus tells him to sell all you have and give to the poor. He doesn't say give all of it to the poor. He says sell all you have and give to the poor. Doesn't mean he has to give it all away. Because that wasn't the point. He was asking, stop putting your worship over here and now put it over here. After all, you called me good. You have a, there's something going on here that you're recognizing. Put those things that you love more than me aside. Surrender them. Give them up. And follow me. Want to talk about treasure? Here's where treasure is. I'm going to show you treasure. This is a huge invite. And it's done with grace and mercy. And obviously much love. And and so he speaks the truth. Jesus always speaks the truth. 
he gets very personal. He challenges man's theology, his, the way he's been living his life. And he's saying, you need to understand how God's law works, though. See, I've come to show you that the law is fueled by love. So when you follow the Ten Commandments, it's based on love, not a tradition, not just because you were taught this, not because out of that you think you achieved this wealth and position. No, 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 no. When you do the Ten Commandments and it's fueled by love, you're able to give your money away to the poor. You're able to do the things that I ask you to do. Because it's about love. It's not about a transaction. Jesus is not asking for a transaction here. He's trying to get to the root of where this man's heart was. And what he was really worshipping. Can you see that? See that? The one thing that he needed to do was to to accept the God that was right before him. (laughs) Oh, man. It's not so different today. Next time that God gets really personal with you, when he asks you to do something very hard and difficult, when he asks you to surrender something, give up something, and maybe you just don't want to do it, can we just think about it in this way? That Jesus is looking deep into us recognizes our greatest need, recognizes who we are. And the thing that he's asking for us to to surrender and to walk away from and to give away is the very thing that we need for more freedom in our lives. And the reason why he's asking, because he's really fond of us. And he wants what's best for us. And so though the ask might be very hard and difficult and it might cost us something because the truth is following Jesus will cost us something. It's motivated by great love for us and a great desire for us to be free and, and walk in his life, walk in his truth, walk in the way of Jesus. So the next time God asks you something very difficult, just think of it as an act of love. Because it is. Because it is. Verse 22, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Again, Jesus was talking dealing with his theology, his false identity. Because money was at the center of his identity, not God. And this rich young man was looking for something that he could do to fix this this longing in his heart and his soul and his mind that none of his wealth could do it, none of his following the traditions. And maybe he was, maybe he did keep all the commandments. But it wasn't enough. Because it's not about the list. Tim Keller says this about the rich young ruler. Jesus snatched two of the rich young ruler's assumptions. 
The assumption that Christianity is something that you can add to your life and something that you do. What I love about encounters with Jesus, encounters with Jesus will always disturb you in this way. And it certainly did it in this young man's life. Presumptions. Religion. My own plans and purposes. My desires. My opinions. Just about everything about me. God will challenge it with the truth of who he is. But God will always challenge that with grace and mercy as well. Because there's always an invitation to know him deeper. See, there's always an act of love. Following Jesus is not something I add to my life. Following Jesus is life. It is life. Following Jesus is not something I do. Following Jesus is who I am. I am a follower of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a disciple of Jesus. You're sons and daughters of, of the Most High God. This is who we are. We follow because of who we are. We go because we love. We do because we love. We obey because we love the person that we're following. It's not something I add. Is everything. It is my whole life. And this is what he was trying to express to this young man. This is, you know, as, look, <laughs> this thing that you placed your trust in is obviously not working for you. Give it up. Surrender it. You'll find what you're looking for because you'll find me. Verse 23, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again to them, again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And said to him, then who could be saved? If this guy is out, who's in? Remember that conception that wealth equals godliness? It blows their mind. It says, wait a minute. If he ain't making it, Wait a minute, we've been traveling with you? Jesus goes, um, Peter goes on and says, we've given, up every, we've given up everything for you. It's like, they, I'm trying to clarify something, God. You know, this, they were, he wasn't willing, but we gave up everything. I love Peter. He can't make it. And then, oh, what hope is there for us? I love how Jesus exaggerates to make a point. 
camel's a pretty big animal. And obviously an eye of a needle is not very big. So he exaggerates to make this point. So that he can make this point. And he looked at them and said, but man, it's impossible. It can't be done. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. I love that answer. For followers that live in the wild, trying to make disciples, we're going to bump against impossible things. We do it all the time. Impossible people. Impossible opinions. Impossible laws and decrees and mandates and whatever. But isn't it good to know that we bump against those things, we come against those things with a God that makes all things possible? We're going to come across people that even if we share the good news, even if we share the gospel, even if we live the the gospel out the way that it's supposed to be lived out, they're just not going to buy in. But I, I get the feeling that Jesus says that because he has hope for that young man. Because after all, he looked deeply within him. What I'm saying is this shouldn't keep us from sharing the gospel. Although it seems impossible. And it's going to seem impossible a lot of times. People are not open to the gospel. Generally. But what they are open to is people coming alongside of them and being compassionate. And merciful. And full of grace. Which opens the door to speak truth. Which is what I think Jesus does here. Could have easily condemned this man. Could have easily condemned him as he was walking away. Could have easily called him out. All he says, you know what? He can't earn it. And guess what? You can't earn it either. That's the grace part. Only God can make this happen. Only God can get a place, get a a man's heart, a woman's heart ready to receive Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Our job, our mission, our act of love is to share the good news about that. How our lives were changed by this great God and King. How we can make the gospel available by just living it, breathing it. I'm telling you, when you speak kindness to someone, it makes them more receptive to the gospel. When you're compassionate, it leaves the door open for the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is compassionate. The gospel is full of grace and full of mercy. That's why. People are... We're, The world is created and ready to receive the gospel. I totally believe that. It just needs us. But it helps me to realize that I offer something to someone, a new life, a chance of a new life, a chance to walk in freedom, a chance to to, to come out of all kinds of addictions, 
no matter what they are. That I have something, I have the truth that will set them free. And I did nothing to earn it, because I couldn't. But the generous God that I serve and I follow and I love gave it to me. All I had to do was receive it. Repent for my sins. Receive the love of God and walk in newness of life. I, it, I can't tell you how much that frees me to know that I could not earn it. So I can tell them that there's nothing that they need to do or have to do or can do to earn the love of God. Or the salvation that they need. And I think that's the whole point of how Jesus closes that story up. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. I think that's the message that followers in the wild, with all those who are seeking just one more thing. I don't know about you, that's really freeing for me. Then I don't have to make people jump through some religious hoops in order to earn favor with God. Then I can approach them with mercy, with grace, with truth, with love, with compassion, because those are all the things that I have received as a son of God. As a follower of Jesus. This is what makes the gospel possible for us to share. Knowing who is the author of our story. Remember, he was trying to find out, he was trying, how can I be the author of my story? How can I make the happy ending come to, come to life? Jesus, no, I'm the author and finisher of your faith. Father, thank you for for coming to us and, and being with us today. Thank you for always being with us and never leaving us or forsaking us. I'm grateful that you're here today speaking to us. We thank you for that kindness that you're showing us, just being with us and inviting us into your, in your presence, and we are grateful for that. So I pray, Father, that We indeed will surrender to things that keep us from more of you. That we would just give it all to you. And whatever we have to sell off, give off. Whatever that is, idols in our life, that we would get rid of.